Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Well, welcome back to Reproducing Churches, the podcast where we help you to reproduce and to multiply Our hope today is that you who maybe wrote yourself off and you don't even think it's possible that you're going to hear the story of my guest today and you're going to be like, you know what? I can do that or God can do that through us because we have a God who delights in taking the impossible and not only making it possible, but just getting it done. So I want to introduce my friend today because he's more than just a podcast guest. He's actually a friend of mine and a co-worker in the gospel work. I want to introduce Jeff Luddington of Generations Church. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, Peyton. Man, it's really good to be here. Thank you. Well, it's good to be here, too. You know, uh, uh, your story's pretty amazing, and I want to really have you unpack some of that today, but what our listeners don't know is that our theme this year, which is Together, Your Church Fits That to a T. Not only are you a part of Acts 29, RCA, but also Gospel Ventures. That is Kingdom collaboration. And that's the kind of thing that we see the Holy Spirit doing. But you are a church and a church planner that has planted three churches in three years and more to come, which I know about and you know about. But Jeff, one of the things that I want to really hear today is how did you get into this little thing that we call church planning? Yeah, if I, um, man, because of, because of the theme of exponential and because of the um, the desire to have people engage in a level of believing that either they can do it or, like you said, that God can use them to do uh, things they couldn't even dream of. I backed up before church planting, before ministry, before Christianity, uh, what people who never heard of me, and, you know, that's probably most, but uh, that my story really doesn't start with, you know, raising, being raised in a church or coming to faith, you know, as a kid or you know, going to undergrad and then going to seminary and doing all that like normal human beings. Um, but really, you know, 20 something years ago, I came to faith in prison. And so my life grew up on the streets and drugs and, and lots of problems. And uh, man, I was, you know, five high schools in three years, uh, you know, kicked out of the army, kicked out of high school. I mean, you name it, right? So I, I'm a, a train wreck for a resume. Uh, but Jesus, right? So, you know, the story is, but Christ entered into that story and began to redeem and reclaim uh, for him something that would glorify him, not me. And so really my my story is that if God, <laughs> I'm the guy that says, if God can use me, he can use anybody. And everybody kind of nods along like that's right. totally true. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah you know, it's amazing because you don't look good on paper before, but now we look and you're actually one of the top 100 multiplying churches mm. in America approaching level five. So uh, yeah. pretty amazing now. Plus, you're yeah, my I, friend. So that counts for well, you. There's that. And I don't look half bad on video, just not good on paper. <laughs> <laughs> I've got great. I've got a great face for radio. No. So. um, So, yeah, we you know, that list was such an honor. The top 100 multiplying churches and that inaugural list. um we have a, a distinction on there. Uh, we are one of the few smaller churches. And so that I know it's a relevant term in America, but, you know, we probably have a couple hundred people to call us home, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever. I don't you add kids and other things in there. That's fine. But, you know, probably a couple hundred adults that call it home. And we're also in our uh, getting ready to turn four years old. And so 
we are a smaller church, and so when we send out 30 people to go plant a church, it's a significant percentage. It's different than the church down the street, maybe, that has a couple thousand people sends out 30. So, um, And I'm not saying that to to say anything other than this is what we're invested in, is what we believe in. Uh, you asked me about story stories of, of our past and just reminding, just thinking through times and things that have gone on. And uh, we talked about uh, kind of our history. So we, I, I came in to restart a church. I planted and then I replanted a church. I came into Long Beach to replant another church. And it was an old, dying, denominational Dutch white senior citizen church. And, I, and literally, you can count the people under 70 on one hand and the people that were not white on one hand. And we used to joke that multicultural meant part Dutch, part not Dutch. You know, and that was kind of the setting for the church. <laughs> but um, what was really cool is that was what was birthed out of there um, was not a lot of healthy church at the time. That's why they brought me in. But um, they had created a platform, if you will, to tee us up to do some really cool ministry. And one of that was that we were sitting on a six acre property in Southern California. And mm. over a series of years of restarting that church and realizing once we, we were getting it healthy, growing it younger, doing things, uh, that church had been neglected and had right. been beat to death for decades. And so our church, uh, including some of the seniors that were original founders there, our church came to the conclusion that the best stewardship of the gospel would be to to sell that church, whether that mean downsize, buy something different, go mobile, whatever that would mean, that the best thing for the gospel would be to sell that property. And so we did, we sold it, uh, we paid off all the debt, we sold it uh, for over, and people in all across the country have different references for real estate, but in Southern California, that meant over $6 million. And so, when we sold that property, we ended up going mobile. Uh, we, right. we moved and started Generations in a high school. And on our first day that Generations launched, we also launched out a church plant two cities over. And so we hit the ground with a belief that church planting was not just a part of my past or replanting was not just a part of this, this church's past or history, but that we were called to multiply churches. Right. That's amazing. So all of a sudden, you're holding a bag of cash, six yeah. million dollars. Right. Um, how do you decide what you're going to do with that? Because I mean, your your situation there. I mean, most of the the you know churches around, they've probably by now paid off their properties, right? I mean, yeah. right. a lot of churches nowadays, it's the running costs that gets it, the staffing. Those that's where churches get into debt. That's where they're yeah. getting into problems. But, you know, uh, so people hearing this, all of a sudden, the idea that you could have a replant, fresh leadership, um, you know, the idea that you sell the building, to some that's anathema. How did you bring them uh, to the understanding that, look, these kingdom resources could literally spread the kingdom? How do you get over that hurdle from a group of Christians that are like, hey, we poured our blood, sweat, and tears into this place for decades how do you how do you get over that hump? Yeah, there's a uh, there's I was you know because you and I because we're in the same circles of people in many cases we're around church planters a lot um, and then there are you know I, I tell everybody if there's a hundred pastors out there probably ten of them can plant churches and out of those ten church planters maybe one it's not saying they're better or worse it's saying gift set right maybe one of those ten can restart 
a church, uh, a group of people. Like they say, it's it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. And I'm not saying that's what we should do. I'm just saying that's probably true. Um, so we talk to church planters a lot. You and I do. We work with them, coach them, love them, send them, are them, you know, whatever. So uh, what, what I always tell them is when working with a restart of some church, whether it's a hard replant of a church that's on death's door, or if it's turning around a church that's been going the wrong direction for a few years, but still salvageable, is really the first thing is a retelling of the gospel, just reminding us that the gospel is um, not just survival. It's not just about us inside these four walls or uh, right. anything like that. It, it is, of course, mission. It is, of course, reaching the lost. It is, you know, being a part of our community, doing things that better the community because we're in it. It's a lot of those things. And what you find out is that many of those, and again, so I had a lot of people over 70, primarily white in, a, in an area that was not white anymore. Uh, the only you know white area in that was the big homes on one side, you know, across the street from Section 8 housing on the other. Um, but when you press into their story, uh, how they came to faith, uh, what you find out is that church was planted in the 1950s by a pastor who wanted some of the same things that we're talking about yep. today. It's just that we lose sight of it. And so right. connecting with people's stories, listening to, uh, man, I remember the first funeral I did when I got there, I partnered with an old uh, with an older pastor as a mentor of mine who's now died. Uh, but it was a it was a woman's uh, funeral. She was uh, like, let's say, 80 years old. She was older. Um, but she had met her husband in World War II as a pilot. She was she was born in France. He flew and landed in and out of France, you know, probably bombed Germany, whatever he did. Right. And, but he stayed in France and they met. They wrote for like two years after the war until they saved up to bring her over the over the ocean and live here. And, and they were a part of this church plant. And they want to reach their community, which was a lot of dairy farms. And you hear these crazy stories. It's just amazing. It sounds like a movie we've watched. Right. But then you hear how they connected with Christ and how Jesus was at the center of them landing in this area, even though they weren't Dutch dairy farmers and right. how they wanted the gospel and how they met in movie theaters, like drive in movie theaters and preached on the top of snack bars. And when you can connect with those things, then it's not crazy to, to talk about how do we do this in our context. Right. In, it, it's funny you say this because um, having been within the Baptist world for a few years, um, almost all of the churches that I've been a part of in Southern California, you can always trace it back to about maybe six, seven, eight families right. that put seconds on their home and yeah. poured it into the church and personally rolled up their sleeves and made sure a church got built and right. planted under a minister or a church planner. Every church you look at as you drive around in your city, somewhere goes back to someone saying, I need to reach lost people in this area. That's right. And so what you did and what, what I hear you saying is you somehow reconnected the older generation who were rock stars in their day. Right. right. But had shifted quite understandably as they got older and newer blood didn't come in into a survival mode to preserve what they had radically sacrificed and daredeviled into existence right. when they were younger. So here you came in and you were able to connect and to bridge that gap. That's that's pretty important. I think that's yeah. something we don't often hear talked about is you heard their stories you reconnected with that passion and and did did many of them actually come back around to say, you know what, that is our vision. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, there's uh, in, in round numbers, I can give you kind of some stats of how it played out. Um, there was probably a third that could not, no matter what you did, paradigmatically couldn't get on board. And I, I remember having conversations with a woman who used to play the organ and uh, she um, she'd long you know lost a step on playing the organ long ago. as She got older and slower, but she had this passion for the pipe organ. They came from a family of of uh, quite a bit of money. They had sustained the church in its season of decline and struggle. Um, and we would talk and she's like, why can we not do pipe organ and choir? Like, just why can't we do that? And no answer was, you know, no biblical answer about like, hey, just understand that there's no pipe organs in the Bible. Right. But there are drums and stringed instruments. So, you know, but that was never going to be good enough. Like, that was never going to satisfy her heart. And her heart truly, I, I, I hope everybody listening, her heart was in the right place. She was trying to understand. And we would sit in my office for hours sometimes. And her degree was in music. I mean, she was deeply steeped in this, but she never got over the fact that, hey, listen, uh, you know, this is what we do in the church. And I said, well, you know, nobody listened to pipe organ music on their radio or on the Internet now. And she says, well, I didn't listen to pipe organ music when I was a kid, but that's what we did in church. I said, but you came from a church culture. We come from more of a post-church, post-Christian culture. And so there was there was people like that, that she, no matter how you said it, no matter how you framed it, she couldn't break through the paradigm of things that were not biblical mandates, but really personal preferences, with all due respect. And so there was there was maybe 30 percent that or thir a third that couldn't make the curve. Some didn't try. Some didn't want to. Some tried very hard. There was a third that did make it. And they there some of it was, you know, I may explain this well to you and you may buy in and say, OK, for the gospel, I'm willing to try and then I would reach, I, there was one case where I reached, reached uh, I was able to see the gospel reach into their grandkids and baptize their grandkids and their grandkids would sit next to them in church, even though the parents, their kids, were not in the church. And, you know, you baptize one grandchild and grandma's now on board, oh, right? Yeah. Hook, line, oh, yeah. she's in, she's going to champion you. And so it's called there perspective. Are, oh, yes, it is. And there was literally, and this is, this is the hard one to hear, but, um, in an old church that was like that, 30% of them died. Mm. I mean, like a third of them died, 33% of them died or so. And there's round numbers, but a third bought in, a third, you know, stuck around for whatever the gospel reason that attached them to it. Some was reaching their family, some was just a heart for the lost, whatever. 30% didn't. Uh, and then about that other third or whatever died. And so there was a turnover. Part of restarting churches, just like planting churches or even pastoring churches in California with the mass exodus that we're seeing is being able to lead people to Christ fast enough to keep up with the decline of a church right. or the exodus of a church or the growth of a church and your needs. Right. And so that was that was a part of it. We lost a lot of folks. You know, we did a lot of funerals. And as sure. they as that happened, there was new new blood coming in and new mission and new life. And that helped win other people over to the mission, you know. And then, and then when it came time to send out 30 people, you just picked all right. the problem people, right? And sent them, no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But what my question, okay, so moving on from that, um, yeah. now you've got this bag of cash that you're holding. You've got, you know, $6 million, which ain't bad. But no. how did you decide how you were going to strategize that for church multiplication? Yeah, so... As we were taking this historically older, 
tied to a denomination uh, more, what they would consider traditional, it wasn't very traditional, but what they called traditional, uh, they had their traditions they hung on to. Um, as, as we were restarting this uh, and really replanting this, this was probably the hardest replant I've ever done, coached, or even heard of. It was just, this was a brutal uh, uh, process. And while we were doing this, there was some amazing leadership that rose up. And so um, when when problems came, I might have a solution in mind, but really uh, my voice was going to be very insignificant in the overall process, even as the lead pastor, even as somebody with a lot of authority. That doesn't mean that others are going to buy into that. And so it was it was a team effort for sure. It was elders that bought into the process. It was people from that original community that were uh, that were bought in for the gospel. And so uh the the thing that tipped us over the edge when we had made the decision to sell the property, to list it, to move in that direction for the sake of the gospel, for the sake, even for the sake of our congregation, to be fair. Uh, but when we, we made that decision, I remember uh, a couple who were on the younger end of the older church, but they had been there forever. They'd come to faith there. They'd gotten married there. They you know had their kids there, all these different things. And with tears in their eyes, as they explained to the rest of the church that this was the right thing to do, that this was the best solution for the sake of the gospel. This was right stewardship. This was, you know, that our heart was in the gospel mission, stewardship, care for the church, that this was the right direction to go. It was it was their stories and their hearts that sold the people not me. I was the guy who would come in and, you know, functionally changed everything and now was suggesting a huge change. And so it was it was over time. But it was it was the people that had been around longer than me that bought in for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, said, I'm in hands in the middle, you know, like Peter, I'm leaving my fishing career. I'm going with you, Jesus. It was those people that that really uh, paved the way through the other crowd. So you ask about the money, though, how do we make decisions on the money? It was that group of elders, that group of leaders that then had the the control of the money. It was never just never just me. In fact, the scariest moment I've ever had in ministry was me calling our investment broker and wiring the money to buy a new building. And, the, and I made somebody sit in the office with me as I did it right. because they did that at the sound of my voice. And I'm like, that freaked me out. So we've never made a decision without a plurality of leaders heading a direction, not selling, um, not now buying the property that we're in, not how to spend the money in the middle. Um, But that became really for us a group of elders. Every church is, you know, their ecclesiology is different, but ours is led by elders. And it was a a community of of godly men who believed in church planting and multiplication that set the trajectory for how we handled that money. So now you've got this money that you can invest, you're safe, but sure. you've got to think, okay, now if we go mobile, um, that frees up these funds to plant another church. Yep. So the first question I have in regards to that is how soon after you went mobile, did you plant that other church? Yeah. So, uh, it was January 10th, and I got to do math now, so it's <laughs> I feel your pain. 2016, January 10th, so we're coming up on our four-year anniversary as a church. January 10th, we launched Generations Church. We launched with a group of people that had been a part of the, re- the restarted 
church that we restarted, that old Dutch traditional church. We shut that down on January 3rd. We had a, a just kind of a closing service there. We launched Generations the following week at a high school down the street. That was January 10th. And we prayed over a group of uh, 25, 30 adults and then a whole bunch of kids uh, to send them out. And on January 17th, they had their first service and we had our second service. And we did that separately. How so, exciting that is. So all of a sudden now, it's not that it, it's almost like you're not mourning the church that has just ended. Mm-hmm. You've now you're now birthing two churches there's yeah. this sense of we are reproducing. This could have, and out of that little church, nobody could have seen that coming, Jeff. Right. I mean, that, right. that's amazing. So now I've got to ask you the flip side question, which is, here's all this excitement. What were some of the growing pains or challenges yeah. of going from a church that had a building to suddenly becoming a mobile church? Because that had to come with a price tag. Absolutely. And, and with every challenge, there's opportunity, right? And that sounds super cliche, but... Um, where we had a building and all our gear built into it or whatever, uh, you know, all that. Now we were mobile and we we found probably uh, the best case scenario. We found a performing arts center inside of a high school less than a mile down the same street we had been on. But it did change out of Long Beach, which is L.A. County, into Los Alamitos, which is Orange County. So very beach community, but it did switch counties and cities. And so in the high school, in a performing arts center, where they had a stage and they had lighting and they had sound built in. And and we did roll in some of our stuff on top of it, but it was a very user-friendly setting. Had, you know, like movie theater seating, like the little, you know, kind of chairs that are built in. You fold down this part you sit on and that was easy. But the setup outside uh, and teardown uh, was a job. And so there was, man, expense in getting mobile gear that we can roll in, roll out. And there was uh, one of the things that I I think will haunt me till the day I die was we broke, uh, I think, three big screen TVs because we were a mobile church moving in, setting up, and uh, we had a TV that we talked from on the stage and and, uh, two that we hung. So we ended up, there was just a lot of growing, a lot of problem there was, but in those, so to say it, you know, kind of Clearly, the, the, in those, there were great opportunities for people to serve. And I know that sounds a little sales pitchy, like you have an opportunity. Well, I need you to do this is what it is. But in there, there was there was community built and people that served on set up and tear down. There are some friendships formed that are still there today because of that team they served on. And so yeah. those were some of the growing pains. Uh, there's a, this isn't probably what you asked, but I think it's important there on our third, uh, our second and third church plants went out within 60 days of each other about a year and a half later. And so we had um, uh, friends of my, friends of yours and mine. So we had John Alwood, uh, who's a longtime planter, longtime friend of mine. He planted five churches and then came, spent time with us. He, resident church plant coach, elder pastor in our church, uh, and my executive pastor of several years, uh, Rick Bambrick. So the two of them were uh, with me in there. And when we planted them out, we gutted our church, and we had just 60 days earlier sent out 25 people out to South Bay, out, out to a, another beach city in L.A. County. Right. And uh, so when we did that, we had just sent out a group of people, so we're kind of reeling from that. And then we sent out—this uh, and this, I'm, I'm going to say it this way—we sent out our best, and that had become a part of being a church-planting church. We committed to sending out our best people. We we're going to send out the C-string, you know, kind of— people that we barely knew, weren't super gifted, and hope they succeeded, we committed to, hey, we will send out our best. That meant right. 
we will pour into people, we will fund their staff positions, we will do these things, and we will do it for the sake of sending them out. And so we will, we will have a gap. So we did two churches, 60 days apart, and on the second one, I literally sent out my children's director, my, admin, my core admin assistant, my XP, my top pastor elder who would preach for me, and more, all right. in the same group. And so we gutted a lot of our church. And, and I, I don't say that with any animus. That was our plan. So as you um, really, I mean, what you've described so far is that you have really created a culture of multiplication with yeah. an existing church through a replant. But then as that was replanted, you've continued to foster a culture of multiplication. Um, yeah. How have you done that? A lot of it is uh, some of the network affiliations you and I share um, and, and, and others that I'm a part of. It really, it's, it's being in the church plant world. <clears throat> Excuse me. Being in the church plant world has given me the ability to meet planters. Because you know, a lot of people, and, and sometimes this happens. You have someone who comes to faith in your church. You disciple them. You do some leadership development. They end up in a role somewhere, somehow. And through whatever they sense a calling to plant where, you know, for in, in an area for whatever reason that God leads them there. And then you send them out. But th for me, that hasn't been common. Uh, that homebred kind of, you know, home raised kind of planter has not been common, uh, though many people that we have led to Christ, discipled, whatever, have gone with planters. The lead person has not been that. And so it's been through affiliation, being in the church planting world. And so connected to it, um, our first uh, our, our first planter came uh, through a guy who was a part of a mega church that closed. He had led one of their core campuses, and he uh, was there. You know, at the end of that closure, it was a messy thing on the internet. Everybody would know the names. It's one of those situations. Well, he came to heal at our church, and um, knowing that he had a heart for planting, and so a year and a half later. He and his wife and his family are healthy, their kid, every, they're building a team, and they move into a city they felt called to. And so um, we sent them out. But we brought them in through friendship because of a church planting network we were involved in, are involved in. Um, and that was that. The, the second planter, I was at the same network affiliation. I was doing an assessment for them and their church plant, and that assessment ended the moment we heard, we saw tears run the, down the wife's face, and she says, listen, I don't want to lose. You know, I don't want to finish the race with a dude I, you know, I want to finish the race with a dude I started with. Right. <laughs> She's killing us, and we're like, er, wait, you know, and so we began to pastor them, and right. they became uh, a part of our church. They embedded for over a year and then launched out, you know. John, you know, Rick was on staff. Don was on staff. Actually, that whole team that you're you're familiar with. But John had been a longtime friend. We'd been in the same right. network, denominations, and things together. And so in his season of wanting to be a part of a local church and coach leaders and do things, he became a part of our church. And so everybody everybody jumped in because we would invest in them and then send them out. Right. And so it was, always, it was just swimming in that world, fostered those relationships so we could do those things. It's really good. And I think that's a really important point that once people see you sending out, you will start to attract those people. They will find yeah. you. They will hear about you and they will start to find you and seek you out, which is what's happened with you. And part of my question 
is how do you get them ready? You mentioned not only kind of being a hospital to a family that really needed that, but also when you mentioned sending out your best, right? If you send out your first string, then the next team to go out obviously is your second string, which means the next church you're going to plan out is your third string. But there is a process on bringing the third stringers into being first stringers who are ready to send out. What has been your process of preparing people? So we talked about a culture of multiplication. What's your process for preparing them for multiplication? Yeah, that's really good. And so I probably word it differently. And and I think this will make a point. Um, We're only willing to send out our first string, right? So what we're left with at Generations is second string or others, right? And that doesn't mean every first string leader goes every time or something like that. But um, my heart is leadership development. And so, um, you know, I, I love pouring into leaders. And what we learned on our third, our, as we planted our third church, um, what we learned was that we were really good at leading non-believers to Jesus, and we were really good at training church planters, and we were missing the mark in the middle, right? And so it just kind of opened our eyes. It left a big hole in the middle of, you know, maturing believers, raising them into serving positions, teaching them how to lead their division, lead their team, lead a ministry, whatever. And so we were really good at the top and the bottom end of the spectrum, right? And uh, we were not good in the middle. And uh, so we be, that, that was all of 2019's and will be a lot of 2020's focus. But um, I would say this, every time we send out our first string and what we do, what we've committed to is is giving away our best. And that comes from, I think, an attitude you have, an attitude I have, uh, those who have left, John Alwood as, as, as an example. We know we can, we know because we plan, and I don't want to, please don't anybody hear hearing this think, I do this on my own strength or my own giftedness. This is what God is doing. This is God's power, God's strength, not mine. But God has used me time and time again to plant and replant. So what I'm comfortable with is, and, and I've said this publicly, as we will put a church planter up in front of an entire congregation and say, hey, listen, anybody who wants to go plant in Long Beach, in Anaheim, in Orange, in Torrance, hey, these are our plants. You want to go, we want you to go. And what I've told everybody, churches and planters, if that means everybody goes with you, either God is going to bring us more people or my job is done. Well, one right. of those two is true. But if I'm to like, hold on to people. I'm not in God's will. So we know that we can plant, that we can restart, that we can develop, and that God is God. And so it's his church anyhow. And so we want to send out our best, and then we will take the time. We will be the ones to hurt and struggle to raise up the next set of leaders. And so we always want to send out our first string. Quick question in 30 seconds. What is your vision for church planning in the next five to seven years? We are going through a season, like I just said, for the reasons I just said, of really rebooting who we are. Mm. Incredibly young admin, incredibly young worship leader, uh, first-time children's director, men struggling through some pieces of the puzzle. So our vision from half of 19, it'll probably drift into most of 2020, is to solidify all the systems that start with reaching the lost, assimilating them into the church, teaching them to serve, give, you know, disciple them, raise them into leadership, and program them in the midst of this to understand that multiplication is a value and we will send you out. So right now, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but right now our strategy is to make our system 
the healthiest system of reproducing all those layers and levels of discipleship and leadership so that when we have the next planting intern or leader, we're prepared to give away better than we've done in the past. Mm. Quick book plug, man, uh, Engage the Church um, by Jim Applegate. is uh, He's a friend of mine, but it's this idea of raising, everybody looks at raising up volunteers, but it's this idea of building ministries, strategy systems, goals, so that you can send out whole, you know, robust teams that represent all that you need to plant a church. And for those of you that are into systems and structure, you have to know that that is part of the genius. That's what Paul was good at. And Wesley, who's really the closest thing we've known in the English-speaking world to the Apostle Paul, he (laughs) made more of an impact than Whitfield did simply because he understood how to organize and how to put systems into place, which fostered greater multiplication. And, you know, that's along the same lines as my final question for you, which is um, what leaders, ministries, resources have shaped how you think about church planning? Yeah. So I've seen churches, leaders, uh, quote unquote planters, organizations get into planting for the sake of planting. And uh, we struggled with this in the early days of Acts 29. Um, church planting, we make it sound so sexy and cool and so godly and so biblical and so whatever, that that's all anybody wants to do and not everybody's wired that way. And that's not a right or wrong thing, that's a gift set thing, right? Like I am not wired to do certain things, others are not wired to do certain things. And some of that is planting. And so leaders for us is a driving thing. When I have a planter, that means God is leading us to plant. And so in the meantime, we will continue to raise up people looking for people called to that. Um, the ministries for me that are uh, incredibly important, and, I, and I'm just I'm doing things differently right now because of what we learned recently of the gap left in our church and just realized, okay, hey, there's a hole in my game, right? And so the ministries that we're doing is, is looking at every every ministry a church plant needs. And that book I referenced earlier, uh, Engage the Church, it draws kind of a picture of, you know, like 10 different ministries and the top five, the five above the line are what you need to start a church. And then all 10 are what you need to kind of have a fully healthy church. And so you got things like elders and worship and, you know, the, you know, whatever the, these things, children's ministry you have to have when you when you plant. And so we're looking through all the all the levels of ministry of all the different things that we do. And we're looking at, OK, how do they reach lost people? How do they disciple people? How do they train people, equip people uh, you know, to get to the next level of leadership? How do we raise up new leaders, start new ministries? How do we, you know, from that get elders and pastors or deacons or you know, staff members or whatever we're looking for? And so really just reproducing at all those levels. Exponential talks about um, you're not really a disciple until you've made disciples to the fourth generation, right? That's right. And so we're in that. How do we reproduce to the fourth generation? Our church is a church is getting ready to see granddaughter churches mm. as our, some of our churches we've sent out. Right. Um, the three churches that we've planted, one is getting ready to daughter out, if not more than one, at least one. Right. And uh, we are also, and so in the middle of that though, also this last couple months ago, we got to send out um, my closest friend and probably closest disciple to go restart a church in another state, in the state of Idaho. And so a thousand miles away, and he and I met this morning via technology, 
we stay engaged in sending, we mm. stay engaged in equipping, we stay engaged in multiplying, even when we don't have a planter in the shoot. Good. Well, what what are some, give me a couple leaders, couple books that you would throw a planter towards. Okay. Um, who should so, they be paying attention to? Who should they be reading? There's this guy, Peyton, who has done some work that is amazing. <laughs> I, you know, I gotta, I gotta say that, but, um, no, so other than your works, man, Expo's, Exponential's got some great stuff. Hero Maker, How to Champion Other mm. People, um, Multiply, talking about level one, two, three, four, five churches. Those things are, again, none of, the, none of these things are going to say things you've never heard, but they're going to say them in ways that you've never been able to grab a hold of. Right. Um, Engage the Church by Jim Applegate is, for me, a must right now, um, I because it just showed a hole in the game. Um, Organic Outreach by Kevin Harney for uh, Organic Outreach for Churches by Kevin Harney is a a way to make sure you're including reaching the lost in every ministry that you're doing, not adding things. Um, man, there's just uh, you asked me a question earlier. I didn't get a chance to answer, but how and why and what's important? Coaching. Uh, I so this isn't one book, uh, but. You've been involved in multiply training with Mac and and, and others. Uh, John's focus for Gospel Ventures. Um, I think the strength that uh, John Elwood Gospel Ventures and that team has is coaching. Uh, I, I I didn't plant my first church with any coaches, and I was looking for some, and nobody knew what they were doing, and they just readily admitted that. So I struggled through things I didn't have to. Right. I would say get involved locally, tribally, denominationally, network something. Uh, get some coaching, but uh, those those some other resources I could I could keep going, but I know we're on a time frame. We are, but hey, Jeff, if people want to get in touch with you, um, where would be the place that they could get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, like Facebook is an easy medium to do that. Uh, Jeff Luddington, um, Generations Church is uh, Gen G E N Family dot Church. Uh, there's that. Uh, which is uh, it's simple. You want to email me as Pastor Jeff at generations dot email. Um, so there's some simple ways uh, that yeah I I would love to talk through. My strength has been um, I think we send sacrificially, and I, and I say that in a sense with humility, man. Like I think that we send as well as anybody, man. And I, that's a team thing, not a me thing. Um, but I also think that the uniqueness that we have is we've restarted a lot of churches, and uh, that's been a, a an, an ability, an area that I've had an ability to, to work with folks. And a good example is a guy that was one of my pastors in a restart church um, from a decade ago is now a lead pastor of a church uh, in Bellflower, California. Uh, Mike Larson, he's getting ready to hire a church plant intern. So for us, restarting dying churches, helping churches become healthy, uh, focus in on the gospel, man, build some systems that help you become healthy, raise up leaders, gets every church in the game, you know, and uh, rather than just finding guys who want to plant churches out there because of whatever reason, and they're out on their own, man, finding this way to get the entire church involved. And so those things, I think, have been have been strengths and uh, an, an area that I, I hope to at the end of my life, say, man, I look back and go, you know, I've contributed in this area. So, Jeff, you've got a book out. Tell us a little bit about your book. I, um, other than all this stuff we're talking about, I have um, a passion, man, really. Uh, I, everybody says this. Everybody loves to preach. Everybody loves to teach the Bible. Um, I, I have a passion for 
people understanding scripture in a way they don't already. And I'm, I, I have some unique styles my teaching. I, that's, that's all there. So I wrote a book called Frustrated, uh, How the Bible Resolves Life's Tough Questions. And um, I wrote this because uh, in, being in the greater Long Beach area, when we talk about the LGBT community or sexuality, gender, uh, marriage, when we talk about all those things, it's not theory. It is, you know, this is one of the biggest, uh, you know, gay pride communities in Long Beach of, you know, the entire world probably, but for sure it's in the top three or four or five in the nation. And being a conservative church uh, that is both, uh, you know, has male elders and pastors and is conservative in the idea of gender, marriage, sexuality, things like that, what I found was that that there were people, and, and this can cover folks that are dealing with depression, addiction, anything else, but there were people that were broken and hurting, and they were coming to the church with their issue. And, and I just, I, it, it was birthed out of talking to this guy who was gay and had, it's just, uh, and, and some others, but just their experience with the church was so bad. Um, they felt like the churches that welcomed them in and said that their lifestyle was okay, we just had no answers for them. And the churches that said their lifestyle was sin and, you know, kind of pushed them out, they had no answers for them. And um, where we had a uniqueness was that we made a, a firm stand on what is what is sin and what is not sin, but we loved people well. And that, that the Bible has better answers than most of the churches give people. And that, that's not saying that I do any better than anybody else, but so the book's called Frustrated. You know, as an author, man, they tell you never write a negative as your title. But as we got into it, that's what it was about. Like I was frustrated with the answers that hurting people got from the church. And so I went to social media, got some of the questions being asked. Uh, and, and then I picked a book of the Bible and just worked my way through that to cover the answers. And so I went through the book of Romans. It's not an exegesis or a commentary on Romans. It is really answering questions through that lens. So we deal with sexuality. We deal with, I wrote it as the the Republicans had like 17 candidates and Democrats had Hillary and Bernie and all that. I was writing it then. By the time we were doing our first big edit, Hillary had, had gone one on her side and Trump had one on his side. By the time we went through our last draft of edits, Trump had won the presidency. It was like hashtag not my president time. So I wrote about how to how do Christians uh, you know obey the law, follow leaders they disagree with. So I was just taking topics that were heated and heavy from culture and answering them through the lens of Romans. And that uh, my heart is that people will find that there are deep, satisfying, amazing answers in Scripture, oftentimes better than they are hearing from the church. So that's why I wrote Frustrated. And uh, yeah, that's that's that. Thanks for asking that, man. I appreciate it. Very cool. It. You got it. Well, thanks for joining us today. This has been Reproducing Churches with Peyton Jones, and my guest today has been Jeff Luddington. Make sure that you stop by exponential.org if you want to get involved in any of the upcoming cohorts or check out the new resources. And be sure to join us next time for Reproducing Churches podcast. I'm Peyton Jones, and we'll see you then. Hey, thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources, such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit reproducingchurches.org.